Hello, and welcome to Super Psychedelic. In this conversation, we were joined by Flor Bellini. She is the founder of Nana, a transformative medicine company that has developed the world's first comprehensive, integrative mental health care solution. Nana's goal is to unleash the full potential of every human. Flora is a creative entrepreneur, strategist, and medicine woman. She's devoted her career to helping humans achieve their full potential through a series of lifestyle modifications, including the progressive dosing of psychoactive medicines and female empowerment. In this episode, we talked about how a wide variety of cultural and ancestral practices lend themselves to a complete toolkit for healing of mind, body, heart, and soul the importance of women in the future of psychedelics, and her perspectives on an ideal setting, why clinics aren't always optimal for a psychedelic experience. And she speaks so beautifully on what it means to answer the knock of destiny at your door, how getting out of our own way allows us to transcend the person that we think we can become. It was an incredible conversation. We really enjoyed it, and we hope you do too. Now we bring you Flor Bellini. Flor, welcome to Super Psychedelic and thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much. What a pleasure to be here. Flor, you have taken part in such amazing work with psychedelics and plant medicines and you've received praise for the person that you are and the work that you're doing. And one of the more popular labels that you have received uh, actually came from Forbes, who called you the corporate shaman. And another of these titles that we really loved was the psycho-spiritual strategist. So really <laughs> tells us a lot of this kind of dynamic that you live within. So we wanted to begin by learning about how you came into this role, kind of a, a bridge keeper between the worlds, as one of our previous guests, uh, Deanna, might have put it. And, you know, what do you what do you make of these titles that are being directed your way? Is is there some friction in these spaces of kind of corporate business meets traditional modalities? So, yeah, wanted to open up with a little bit of that. Yes. Great question. You know, it's funny because it's been also a process for me um, to swallow it as well. Right. To start like a. Um, kind of accepting that one cannot escape one destiny and that um, there are like things that goes beyond your control and that even you may procrastinate as much as you want, there are things that you just cannot escape and that you start to have to woman up and own the person that you came here <laughs> to be. And so um, the consequences of how I end up in Forbes, for instance, is funny. It had to do more with having to get a visa for the U.S. And then how do you explain when you are kind of uh, following your heart and intuition and pioneering something that it doesn't exist as such, the way that people interpret um, interpret your, your work and how they perceive it and it's also their own interpretation of the journalists in a way, right? And how they communicate that and then how that become a title that a lot of people then there was pushback from people also within the the space of like who do you think you are and I'm like <laughs> you know is I don't have a PR agency like all the you know like kind of a lot of um, yeah friction you know I think that the psycho spiritual element you know or strategy is like trying then to decode like what is what I actually do for people. I don't believe in, uh, I think that a shaman is someone that has healed himself and therefore from that place can support someone else in doing the same. And then the fact that I've always been very connected with powerful people around the world before I even step up to serve ceremony, kind of it went hand in hand that these people would trust me and I could speak in a language uh, that they could relate to. So then as an strategist that is my background in politics, that's what I used to do. I kind of kept on evolving my craft. And so then corporate um, was more like um, an environment that my, my, my background was well received, right? Um, and I think that all of this has been unfolding. It's not something that with my head, I decided this is the way I will, I'm going to go. And it keep on evolving as we go, you know, like the same 
uh, way, like now then having to found a company from serving medicine, but also serving medicine was a big pivot from being a, a strategist in politics or an entrepreneur working in different, you know, in education or ICT curriculums and, you know, then serving medicine. So life keep on pivoting, you keep on reinventing yourself. And so, um, yeah, it's interesting to see uh, how you get to also identify yourself with how, like the power of media is extreme. I'm actually so surprised, right, of the power that it has. Definitely um, how people perceive you and understand what it is that you do um, you know, the image that you project has a lot to do also with the identity, you know, who I am, what I stand for. And even though there is no, there is no framework to what I do. And so people try to put it within the boxes of what they know and put it together. I think that it is, uh, kind of paving a new path and, and I'm learning as I go. So I don't know if that responds in so many words, the question that you ask. Yeah, definitely. In many ways that, you know, that phrase corporate shaman is a microcosm of, I think, the, the, just the industry as a whole, this roots meet suits kind of dichotomy where we're dealing with kind of indigenous plant medicine and, you know, people that have been doing this for a long time, meeting this kind of, you know, corporate capital um, coming in and the kind of mainstreaming of psychedelic culture and psychedelic medicine. I wonder if you have any thoughts on, you know, how best to approach that in the context of what you're, what you're building. So um, you've created this interesting company called Nana. You know, why did you build this company and how did you get involved in this space and how are you blending these two worlds? So I've, um, in the process of serving medicine, I came across Trevor Nielsen, um, who is basically a, an investor, a philanthropist, a, you know, impact investor that became my mentor. And so when he met me, he he, re, he basically put together like a, the best or the biggest philanthropic campaigns with the biggest celebrities in the world. You know, he used to do a lot of philanthropic work in his respect. And then he went and created a social impact investment fund with the grandson of Warren Buffett. And when he met me, he was, he retired me and he was like, I want now you to spend time thinking, how are you going to scale what you've learned underground for over a decade? He's like, I do believe that these drugs are going to go mainstream. If I were you, I would go biotech. You know, I would really dive into this space. And this was before Atai or any company really stepping in this way. And so following his guidance, I went to Israel, I did due diligence in biotech, you know, I started really like understanding how this industry works, the fact that they don't try the drugs that they legalize. And I started also to see that there were certain drugs, right, that they do require companion software as meaning a set of knowledge and practices that the practitioners have to have that the biotech company gives to the clinician so they can effectively apply the drug, right? And so how all of these would actually have to be applied for, for psychoactives because this was a different kind of complexity that this industry clearly never really dealt with. And so it was from this place and these years of, you know, really digging into this understanding that um, I started working in how it would look, the companion software, meaning again, as knowledge, right, uh, to support these drugs coming mainstream where we have to increase the level of care to 10x compared to Western medicine works today. And actually how the clinical setting is, is like the worst possible environment that we can think to have these kind of experiences. So how can be the harm reduction strategy that I can come up with to support the psychedelic re renaissance so this industry doesn't go to trash before it even starts? That is why then founding Nana and understanding also that 
you know, I've, I used to work in ICT curriculums for developing countries, you know, like the laptop, one laptop per kid initiative. And what was the software that would go inside that laptop, right? So you would have the best in class come together to teach you, you know, in a process in which the student would go through the software being taught by the best in class rather than relying on the knowledge of an African teacher that gets a, a laptop for the first time in their life as well, right? And so kind of extrapolating this experience and saying, well, this actually would really apply a lot, uh, basing my understanding of serving medicine on the ground. First of all, you as a student, is on you to do the work, right? We don't learn by talking at someone. It's more through the experiential of the experience, right? And um, it, it was actually this Indian uh, educationalist, Sumatra Mitra, who, who did this study, you know, for the One Laptop Per Kid initiative that really stick in my heart. And is how can you, instead of being the teacher imparting the knowledge, you become more like a mentor, empowering this person to go through the process, right? And so if everything that you've done in your life start coming together, you know, to really help uh, put it together. And so that is um, more or less how we came up to this solution to standardize as much as the process as possible, right? To assess uh, on one hand the, the, the need of how do you train practitioners that have nowhere to learn, that unless that you have personal experience, you really cannot do your work well. And at the same time, how do you empower people to heal themselves, to transform yourself, right? And so from that place, this platform with double interface, standardizing as much as the process as possible was the, the harm reduction strategy that we that we can we felt would support the psychedelic uh, renaissance the best. You you said something interesting um, just then about um, kind of the clinics being the worst possible uh, place to have these kind of experiences, um, and we all know now that you know set and setting is, is very important. Clearly, traditionally, these ceremonies have typically been outside in nature. I know my experiences have always kind of tended towards that kind of natural out in nature. But the problem with that clearly in kind of Western medicine context is the lack of kind of control standardization. We have a tendency to want everything to be, you know, squeaky clean and kind of white and so, you know, white bright lights and things like that. And so, and now we're seeing kind of these new clinics come online that, you know, some are like the Soho house, these uber luxury kind of experiences. We've got kind of retreats, you know, that you can go to kind of hotels, but I just wanted to get your take on, and especially as you're kind of building this company, what is the kind of the right setting? What do you think is the optimal setting given what we have to do um, in importing or, or leveraging this medicine in the Western context? It's like the same environment where you would have a newborn, right? That also is not a, a clinical cold table, right? It's like something that is warm, that is cozy, that it feels like so nurturing and like, you know, um, soft from the lighting, from the touch, from the smell, from the coziness, right? Like this is the uttermost important. When we are under the effect of the substance, it's like, being with someone with a kid with special needs, right? Like everything is so high scented, like all your senses. So the softer and the coziest, the better. And natural elements are key. Like my favorite way to serve Fabio as the second dose, actually it is in warm water, kind of uh, simulating the womb. And so it really helps to let go so much more. And also like to look at the stars when you are on it and see that it's all alive and it moves. So how can we, and that is the part of us uh, in our series A as the second part where we will uh, franchise this model. We have one of the most sought after architects in the world, the Arcade Ingles designing this with us. It's like, 
how can we portray the feminine way of serving medicine that is in community with natural medicines, you know, it's a completely, it's literally the opposite side of the coin of what we actually have today. And it was very interesting for me to learn that when I tried ketamine for the first time, it was an intramuscular with directly with the doctor, but the same principles uh, and the same needs to give ceremony um, as natural medicines apply for ketamine as well. You, you know, like the woman that was doing the experience next to me was reaching out for a hand, right? You needed like uh, to, to feel that place of belonging. These are like very disorienting experience. So you don't want to be alone in a cold room with people that don't know where they are sending you that are coming in and out in your phones, surrounded by computers with, you know, regardless if you are with your headphones and your mask and you still feel everything while you are in there, right? That is what the experience are about. And so, yeah, I think that the, the feminine way of how we will hold the space and where you would have a newborn and understanding that this is the closest to dying and to being born. But again, if I give you that reference, is we'll think, well, the way that we die and we are born is also in this dysfunctional place. And I think that that is also part of the problem, right? So if uh, we women could choose how that look, it would be more in nature relating with, with water, with natural elements and with the community component. Yeah, you, you speak really beautifully through a lot of your work and on your website about that feminine approach. And it's something that's really interesting, this dynamic of feminine versus masculine centric models and things like that, like what those actually mean. These are kind of terms that people are using more frequently now, I guess, in your kind of new age spirituality um, without necessarily this really concrete understanding of, of what that means. So I think it's it's really valuable and amazing that you speak to this like nurturing and womb like environment, things like that, um, and what that brings to this kind of setting. And I'm curious, um, you speak a little bit about progressive dosing on your website. That's something that is part of this kind of feminine approach to medicine. Can you speak a little bit more about that technique and, and why that's something that that's important for you? Yes, for sure. One thing to make a, a distinction is that there is female and there is feminine, right? Female is biologically given by your genitals right? Mm -hmm. Feminine is a quality that both women and men have, right? And so from that perspective, because if not, is there is a, like a gender discussion. It's like, no, 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 no. This has nothing to do with equal, not equal. Like, no, it has to do with the fact that we, uh, biologically speaking, are able to give birth. The reason why we are the gender that carry the baby, create a baby from a seed and give birth to it. It's in my observation of a decade of work, and the, the, I'm dyslexic, so I deduce, right? This is how my brain works. And seeing it in, repeated itself in thousands of cases, it's like if we women, have a companion software that comes accompanying this womb, right? Having the womb, it gives a completely different set of tools and qualities and abilities that women have that men don't. Men have others by having different genitals, right? David Data, um, the biggest integrative teacher in the world, speaks very well about these extinctions. I've, I've trained a lot into Tantra as I did with plant medicine, so it really helped to understand um, the difference and how we complement. And so from that perspective, what I have observed is that naturally a woman, progressive dose, naturally a woman don't give you a, a bomb. It's just, it's not in our nature, right? Uh, it's not the way that we choose to take the medicine. It's not the way that we naturally serve the medicine, right? A woman naturally know what to do with fear and uh, naturally a woman you know like know how to hold someone there when there are men of course that know but it's not that um, natural let's say for them to step into that role it's also um, a woman naturally don't tend to put their sexuality out of place and and also when a woman 
is being held by a woman in ceremony, the way that you open up as a woman to have all the sexual release that it happened in most of the cases during the experience, you know, like as an energy purge, uh, particularly working with Fibromyo, you see it very strongly. You can open in a completely different way if you have a woman sitting for you that if you have a man sitting for you. And if you don't hold, it's also very hard for a man to conduct himself, not to be, because it's also within its nature to be activated when the sexual energy of a woman is overflowing, right? And so all of these aspects that I've been uh, observing over and over again made me to come to the conclusion that it's this is an industry, this is a space that naturally women have to um, lead the way, right? And, and especially because there is so much disinformation. How do, you, how do you train a whole league of practitioners from zero, right? From scratch. And so I think that tapping into what naturally has been given and also as some meaningful way of making a living, if you are a spiritual woman, like what are the jobs that you can have? You can be a yoga teacher, you can be a masseuse. Like, I think that reintroducing the, reintroducing the concept of a priestess, this is what we used to do. Ancestrally, women, we used to heal with sexuality. We used to heal with plants. We were like the portal to the other side, right? By lovemaking, you know, we would, and that is all the tantric practice, ancestral practice, they will show you that it was a woman that was the channel which for you would get on the other side. Um, the same way with serving the medicines, you know, it was like you're like a transformational doula. That's really what we call a nana to be, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of bringing back to the table um, the role that women have lost because of the power that it had to have that that role right mm -hmm. yeah thank you thanks for uh for digging into that it's it's a fascinating topic and i think you you bring such an interesting background of your own practice to the conversation because you are a student of so many different forms of healing apparently which was like truly fascinating to read about um you know you've studied ayurveda and tantra and shamanism and africanism and learned from the english and the german and the scandinavians all of these different cultural practices and belief systems and ways of interacting with healing and ancestral knowledge so i can only imagine how much that contributes to how you think about these different ways of bringing forth medicine or teaching um, and kind of lends itself to that bridge keeper <laughs> uh, personality that you have. Would you say that these, like how have these different cultures lended themselves to your own belief system? Like, are there any common threads that you've, you've gained through them that have really woven into these spiritual practices? You've kind of touched on a bit of them, but you know, are there some, some things that really stick out to you that you've held from all of these different teachings as very, very central? Well, I think that the beauty is that they actually all complement each other. You know, like um, Einstein's theory of unification, right? That it was kind of his dream uh, to try and unify in one equation the whole explanation uh, of the universe and that string theory and such. I think that the same in a way apply in this respect. It has been fascinating to realize following the guidance of ayahuasca, um, you know, of where to go when I was, because I, I also was like, what now I say I'm a shaman, you know, like, mm -hmm. and, she's yeah. like go, yeah. and she's like, go to school, go and become a priestess mm -hmm. of the most ancient divination system in the world and learn how to be a professional curandera. I'm like, oh, okay. And then check, kind of check, 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 right. <laughs> and and yeah. then it's like, oh, how all of these come together they piece together beautifully it's like a puzzle right and so how um the ayurveda you know understood the mechanics of the body right like with your breathing your you know your movement your sexuality your food like you know really how to even doing urine therapy and seeing that when you have like a healthy diet suddenly your your body is like a juicer that 
the the urine is not a waste is your elixir and like it really uh, obliges mm-hmm. you this exploration because again i believe that it works or it doesn't work or that is true or that is not is still a belief my i have a very direct uh kind of scientific approach which is i try if it makes sense i try and based on that is that i speak about right and so mm-hmm. how all these different cultures complement themselves especially let's say how they are the africanism of working with ancestors you know working with energy matrix where the forces in nature are semi-gods right to start seeing um divinity and creation in everything that there is especially having an, uh, an agnostic background i grew up like not really believing and i'm like it cannot be so how do you mm-hmm. reveal this understanding of existence after you have this powerful dissociative experience um it's quite fascinating uh how we can put together this puzzle and that is in a way what we've done with the nana protocol we don't call it as such we just say lifestyle practices and we just simplify it like that but in essence is weaving africanism with uh, ayurveda with shamanism within the context of western psychology right but it's kind of they are all intertwined addressing you know the body the mind the heart and the spirit and in there is like all these lifestyle practices that you can start weaving into your life um but definitely um the combination of all of these is a is an art form i would say to to masters one's life if if one really is going after mastery there is this need to have uh, an understanding as a full picture of what existences what our body is about and it it we need to borrow and to dive deeper into these ancestral way of healing because they they got it right is is mm-hmm. is a knowledge that always been there is still there western medicine was in a business right it was a lifestyle practice and right and a path if you made to enlightenment and to connecting directly with source and so that is what we are aiming to bridge back empowering people to transform their life and giving them the tools and the roadmap so they choose their own adventure into transformation because the path and the truth is always been there now it's your choice to choose but at least that is what we want to provide is that at least in here now you have an option if you want to do the work okay here is a roadmap is a is a roadmap for warriors but at least here there is a way it's not that you are going to be chronically ill that there is no cure that's not true that is just a business for a few right mm-hmm. that's why we call it transformative medicine right mhm so just curious about the the protocol so it sounds kind of like you, you know you've looked all around the world and given your background you've kind of taken i don't want to say the best of because that's like just like <laughs> probably not the best 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 term for it but you know you've taken all of the, the the background from and learnings from different cultures but does it matter um when somebody comes for help you know wants to leverage the protocol is there flexibility on that protocol does the person's background who's having the experience matter in terms of how you tailor it um so does somebody of a certain cultural background you know do you tailor it more to that background and take learnings more from that background for them 100% is personalized medicine the only way i believe that you can work with psychoactive medicine is personalized medicine the assessment which we create double interface to be first a self assessment meaning you start also getting the picture of where you are truly at that in most mm-hmm. of the cases we never really took the time to genuinely look into that right and then based on that you know your assessment biologically and psychologically and emotionally and spiritually like do you believe in god have you ever had a mystical experience do you have some form of trauma sexual trauma Uh, all of these things are important to determine what is a dose 
because to mm. blast you from zero to a hundred, if you are, let's say, agnostic and you don't believe in God and you never had a mystical experience, how do you then integrate or help this person integrate such a bomb and shatter of the world as they know it, right? And so all of these things one has to think in advance before like just the objective of having you cross it's okay. You, we don't need to cross right away. Sometimes it's a lot to recapitulate the understandings that in most of the cases, the life that we've been told to believe is not the life that it is, right? And so that is why, on one hand, um, the progressive dosing technique, right, is the same, is to be able to assess individuals and that the individual choose how deeper do I want to go is for them to decide, not for us, right? And so I think that this is a humongous difference in the approach Then the doctor comes, tell you what to do, give you also like a full dose, mainly based on um, dr relying on the drug and as big as we can and as many as we can, and this is how we go, and then talk therapy or at least that is how ketamine is unfolding today. And it's like, no, 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 <laughs> right? <laughs> no, <laughs> please don't. It can be so disorienting. And so I think that the art form uh, of introducing these drugs, and I mean drugs because in order to be legal, they have to be synthesized, right? Or And ketamine... MDMA, psilocybin, is, these are all going to be synthetic drugs, right? And that is why I think it's interesting, the opportunity of going B2C, direct to consumers, breaking down the complexity, and it's like, yo, you know, it's on you. If you want, yeah, for sure. There would be by prescription, but like, just know that it's on you. And stop delegating the power of your own transformation to a doctor, to a psychologist, because that's not really where the transformation lies. If you want to deliver cures, if you want to thrive, uh, you have to own the responsibility that you have. And I haven't seen out there that there are like many facing companies empowering in that respect. So that is what we want to introduce to the table and hopefully be able to activate a movement where people step up to transform themselves and therefore support someone else in doing the same. So it's, it's basically that approach that not only make you uh, thrive and step up within to community to bring the ones that you love. I've seen this repeat itself over and over again. But at the same time, that is what makes you a nana, right? Is mm -hmm. to having gone through the process, to know how hard it is to be where that person is at, to become a cheerleader, to know how to ask the question, to reassure that person, you know, and to hold their hand. Meantime, they find their own answers. And this is the only way that you really can support someone. And so this is also a new role that psychologists are learning, right? That is like, I, when I really do the work, I have to step up in a different way. That is Rosalind Watts, she really uh, explained it really nicely. The difference between being a psychedelic uh, practitioner, like uh, helping someone integrate these experiences with being a psychologist or a psychoanalyst. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You mentioned one thing that I thought was quite interesting there about, um, you know, there's a bit of a debate around synthetics um, versus natural. And you kind of alluded to this, you know, it's certainly in the kind of clinical setting and the medical setting, it's all going to be synthetic. Um, do you think anything's lost by going completely synthetic, you know, the kind of entourage effect with psilocybin and mushrooms or anything like that? Yeah, of course. But it's interesting, like, in order for something to be approved by the FDA, it cannot be basically natural. Or they make it so complex that, in a way, the more that I look into this, the more that it's really, like, designed for you not to get cured or not to get well, and is designing how to keep you chronically sick and be a business is quite dark. And again, you know, it's what it is. We not to complain, who care if you do, like, you know, we keep on moving forward and we find solutions to the problems and this is what we have to work with. And, you know, we see it as a challenge and as an opportunity. 
Um, having said, I do believe that the discriminalization movement and people understanding that they can grow in their garden, whatever they want in a small scale, and that the community, you know, can, that's what really I believe is more about creating a movement, empowering people. Um, what I've learned also through the power of internet is that you don't have to go through educational ministers in order to see what you are teaching people. And so from that perspective, I'm like, Yes, uh, there are darker forces that are controlling the not only our health system, but so much more. But also at the same time, there are ways to reach out people. There are ways of, you know, giving them how can we innovate in the way we give them access to education, to information, you know, to a platform where peers to peer can support each other especially knowing that everyone is taking drugs in some form of another and that also sugar or processed sugar is like crack cocaine. So when people say drug, well, let's actually, what are we talking when we say drugs, right? Um, are we talking prescription drugs? Those are actually harmful drugs, right? And so I think that now people are starting to realize that health not necessarily uh, is what we've been told that what heals is not really um, necessary what kills and vice versa, right? I think that uh, time always tells what is what. The most research thing in Google, the first is health, the second is porn. And I think that actually giving real, direct education and information about these two most uh, important aspect is at the core of Nana's mission. This is what your mother would have given you if she knew, right? Mm -hmm. And and so what is also very important to understand is that sexual medicine, it has to be a field to understand that how you work with your sexual energy, how you circulate it, how you relate to it has a lot to do, like three out of five, at least in our experience of mental disorders has to do with some form of sexual trauma or some form of sexual addiction or not knowing how to deal with this energy. Like the clinical trials of MAPS under FDA when it comes to post-traumatic stress disorder, it's also sexual trauma. So the fact that no one talk about it, that the Me Too movement also shows that clearly there is a humongous number in the population. And of course, if this is our natural force, this is the where we come from, is the most potent force in the universe, period. And you are being uh, stigmatized from day one, depending which is your upbringing. But in, we can say kind of that generally, or we have no idea or no one told us how, or like there is a lot of guilt around this natural flow of sexual energy that is who we are. How this is not going to fuck you up some way or another. Excuse my French. Mm. And so <laughs> um, I think that in order to deliver cures at scale, it's important to break this down. And to introduce the heart into the medical equation is to say it's not only the emotional aspect that is not fully contained in the psychological approach, it's also the sexual aspect, right? It's like how all my sexuality translate also in my emotions and how these two aspects connect with my conscious and my subconscious in my mind. If that makes sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I would stop there. Yeah. Because I can keep on going. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that down. was, uh, yeah. yeah, it's, it's super insightful um, stuff. Curious your thoughts then. Um, there are actually some other companies with a focus. Um, I know yours isn't necessarily a direct focus. You, you allude to this working with sexual energy and not being a, a pivotal part of what Nana does and, and how you look at addressing healing and things like that. So there are other companies that are doing work with such as MDMA, um, looking at how, you know, to address women's reduction in sexual desire or challenges in relationships. Do you, do you have any thoughts on these companies that are, are looking to really specifically address things like sexual desire and, and whatnot through the use of such compounds? Yes. Yeah, like, uh, I think it's so important that more companies and players step up in this respect because there is not many 
out there, right? Like Molly Malouf, I think she's also working one of these. And I was like, yes, Molly, you know, <laughs> like the more that we can find, like, please, girls, yes. And normally it, it takes a woman to develop solutions for women problems. And also, you know, kind of when medicine is standardized, we women have different needs than men. And kind of maybe uh, in most of the cases where it gets generalized, we go into the frame of, uh, what it is for the male system that is not necessarily what we need, even as a dose, right? A standard dose for a male is not the same standard dose for a female. And that's why personalized medicine is the way. And I think that finding companies that are doing the same and, and how we, we call it zebras, right? Like unicorn versus zebras. These zebra companies are female, normally are female-led, they do 2x, not 10x. They are cooperative. They are collaborative. They are regenerative businesses. And so within this uh, new ecosystem, it's like, how can we uh, step up as female entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs and really start building solutions that help to address um, this aspect of the self that maybe we as women have more insight and that is more um, conductive to healing maybe that we can develop that kind of product that we need for ourselves right uh, like, mm -hmm. and then how can we collaborate and partner so for instance foria that is developing the suppositories of cbd and thc fantastic the most toxic uh, part of the body of a female is the vagina and the womb cervical cancer is the main reason of death in women in developing countries and that is also our highest form of orgasm. And the second are the breath cancer, right? The two sexual, main sexual part of our bodies are the main reason of death. And so if we don't use it, it kind of kills us. And so it's so important to start like understanding these and I think collaborating and supporting each other as, as a gender to create solutions um, that support us in this way. I think that that is really the innovation we need to see in this space. Amazing. Yeah. So a bit of a sidebar, but one, uh, something that was really an interesting personal note that I really wanted to ask you. Um, we had actually read somewhere that you said ayahuasca once asked you if you wanted to be a rock star. And I thought that that was a really like a fun kind of turn of events and how you might look at that. Um, so just wanted to dig a little bit into how has the person that you are today and the work that you're creating aligned with that? Have, has it changed at all in terms of the definition or your feelings around being a rock star? Obviously showing up in all these different ways and, and bringing all of these different things into the being that you are. Um, would you say that that term where that definition has evolved and have you ever thrown a tv out of a window like led zeppelin yes <laughs> a tv <laughs> are you a fan of headbanging <laughs> da, da, da. <laughs> that was in the context of um me procrastinating like for years i was like i'm not this cannot be my path i'm not getting the message right i'm just gonna keep on with my comfortable life you know mm -hmm. and i was like i'm not getting this right you know ayahuasca confronts you with your fears is kind of one of the wonderful gift skills she has uh, and it's because she of uh, this you know female energy right she showed me how a rock star look like, look like within my path, within my lifestyle. And it, it was like, this is what your soul came to do. And kind of really slapping my ego, my mind in that experience. It was like, you know, you have all of this power. You wonder why, why this is why you are so much. Just fucking go and do it, which excuse you have, you know? <laughs> Boom. Uh, and that was in the context of the Pope becoming the Pope too. And I was like, oh my Lord. Because I think that there is this sense of the ego kind of, we always think of the ego of, uh, oh, who do you think you are? But also the ego does, the opposite of like, no, I, I, that cannot be me. Uh, no, I'm, you know, and 
and kind of you never I at least never thought of myself in these grandiose ways, right? But then plant medicines over and over again started showcasing a, a, a version of my incarnation that was a hundred x what I would have wished in my wildest dreams that my life would be, right? And so the gap between where I was at in my level of consciousness and my understanding of what I was here to do and my contribution to the world, to what she was showing me that I came here to do, it was so humongous uh, that it was kind of devastating at the time. And now looking backwards 15 years later, I must say it's definitely way more uh, pragmatic and proactive to embrace your destiny, even if you are terrified, because I never been so successful since I actually started following my intuition and trusting my heart and knowing that it would make sense down the line. And suddenly, not only I found my passion, my mission, my purpose, I've found a meaningful way of uh, making a living, empowering others. And the more that I walk and the more that I step, the more that it makes sense. And even my head is starting to catch up and to understand that this has nothing. The only job I have to do is to get out of my own way, right? And every day more. <laughs> and that is just really, the, the, and this is where Africanism help, helps a lot to frame and understand that we have a destiny to fulfill. How can we align with that path? How can we use and pray to our ancestors, to the forces in nature to fulfill our destiny? They call it Ori. Your Ori is your destiny. So it's that you came and you nailed down what you came here to do. And there's nothing more important in the world for you to do than that, that to be a good ancestor, that to elevate your bloodline, that, you know, really come here and nail down that contribution and then suddenly it's like depression what <laughs> it's like depression is a sign that you are not aligned with that right and then also that my mom was like oh stop thinking so big and i'm like mom thank god i didn't listen to you and thank god that actually i had a mother in ayahuasca in that sense and hey don't get me wrong i love my mom but she's a freudian she still thinks that the mind cannot experience a thought i think that all these um opportunities that these medicines bring to the table to redefine what is joy, what is happiness, what, what is purpose. Um, it's fascinating. It's, um, and that is really like, in essence, she was like, I always go, you want to be a rock star? This is how it looked like. And it was kind of a Madonna, you know, with the <laughs> knee boots, like rocking it. I was like, what? And um, I'm so glad she kicked my ass in that way, you know, because now I'm like, every woman has it inside. And, and I think that every nana, you know, any, any woman that wants, like, just, you know, can step up to, to do that. Beautifully said. Um, mm -hmm. Well, much has been made of, you know, the psychedelic renaissance, this term, um, and what's happening at the moment, this kind of rediscovery and, you know, applications of, of psychedelics and kind of therapy every day we're seeing you know new articles and new celebrities kind of talk about these substances on your website you have this beautiful manifesto that speaks about you know, how psychedelics can you know help with you know some of some of humanity's biggest issues uh, you know ecosystem decline and things like that but you know we've been asking all of our all of our guests What's your hope for the future of psychedelics and where would you like to see all of this go? I really pray every day that this could be the first industry led by female power. I really, really, really hope that it can showcase uh, how it would look, an industry that is driven by different uh, set of goals and values and morals and ways so we can put the horses in front of the charts we may say there is this 
proverb, this Cherokee proverb that says that it's a woman that leads spiritually men, not the other way around. So it's of fundamental, special importance that we women as a collective, we unify and step up and that the sophisticated men in the space actually give us a platform of support so we can do so. All the rest of industries are led by men. Please, please let us show the way in this respect, um, especially to answer all the questions that they have, you know, all these curiosities of how they are gonna reinvent the wheel with the new drugs, with administration, like all the things that they don't know. Naturally, a woman knows how to, the way to go. And so that would be my main hope for this space is that actually we are given an opportunity that we are not stepping the head, that we are not like, you know, abuse, rob, steal, like push, that actually we are genuinely given with respect a space where we can share our knowledge, where we can collaborate without feeling, you know, um, betrayed or pushed down or entrepreneurship in that sense or business, at least in my experience, going from medicine woman to business woman, it's been a, a very traumatic uh, turn. And so how can we, and that is why, you know, so appreciative of Rick Dublin's work of the MAPS institution, you know, like really also like this cohort of, uh, extraordinary uh, individuals stepping up, as Ryan Sorer would say, in a stoic way, you know, to contribute in such an altruistic way that brings you to tears, right? A possibility of how we would look a new uh, way, right? How we would look an industry that is not driven by greed and by profit and actually to help humans uh, heal and develop and transform and, you know, like really create the possibility that maybe, you know, this may be the last chance that we have as a collective, not to extinct ourselves. So at least in the last chance that we are given, maybe we can give women a chance. Amen to that. I hear that. <laughs> <laughs> like you said, it, it takes us all, it takes us all in our own ways. Thank you so much for that, Floor, um, and for all of this. Um, it's been really wonderful. It's been a great conversation. You've shared so much with us and really appreciate your time. So um, yeah, thank you for joining the Super Psychedelic. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much, guys, for your work. This is like a mm -hmm. really important conversation to have. Thank you. Thank you for your work. It's these conversations that highlight the emerging new world of psychedelics and allow us to speak to both the pioneers and the new age innovators shaping the current culture of this exciting space. In every episode, we hope to help you, the listeners, connect the dots and be a part of the conversation that is super psychedelic. If you like what you heard, you can rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening and see you next time.